0: Ah, Well, all good things must come to an end. <laughs> this is Pat and John in your best behavior. I'm Pat. I'm John. Well, much like Herman Menkowitz, <laughs> it's the end of an era. Um Yeah. We have turned off the Steeler game with 20 seconds left. Um, they might win by the end of this. Most likely not. Um, uh, today, we're here with our Fincher correspondent, film producer, film professor, mm-hmm. Rishi Saifi. Welcome, Rishi.
1: Hi, guys. Yeah, you really brought me in here right on the tail end of the Steelers, uh
0: yeah, just just we like so. just like
2: the 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 towering career and personality of uh, Charles Kane must oh, well. come to a tragic <laughs> end. The perfect season of the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is a football team that two out of three of the people on this podcast are ardent supporters of Um has also come to a, a tragic end at the hand of the Washington football team, which Pat refuses to use that, that <laughs> name. He, he prefers to, you know, call them by their, by their, their old name, because to quote Pat, I don't get what the big deal is personally. <laughs> um, allegedly that we, that, that has not been fact-checked, but allegedly he said this and Rishi is a, uh, uh, also, speaking of good things coming to an end, Rishi, he—he, uh, he, we're recording this on Zoom, and Rishi's background is a lovely, um, empty movie theater, <laughs> which is a nice homage to that thing that <laughs> apparently is not going to exist anymore after the news of Warner Media um, releasing all of their 2020 or 2021 releases uh, on HBO Max. So.
0: Yeah, a lot of great, great things coming to an end. And listen, the protagonist of the movie we're going to talk about knew not to trust the studios. And he and he had that uh, mindset over 80 years ago. Yeah. So sure profit. Well, we're, we're here today to discuss the the new film. This is another topical episode because it's the end of the year. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, we should probably talk about new or stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know. When one of our favorite filmmakers makes a work of art, we have to respond. Right. When I watch a new Michael Bay movie, I right. have right. to respond to that.
2: Um, right. we, we just watched the new Ron Howard movie. Yes. I have to yes. respond.
0: So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, Mank, the latest yes. David Fincher film written by his father about the acclaimed screenwriter herman mankiewicz who wrote most some all debated of citizen kane widely considered to be the greatest film of all time Mm -hmm.
2: nut boys citizen kane according to the afi top 100
0: there's actually a, a lot of scholarship about how Orson Welles took a lot of, uh, the camera setups in nut boys <laughs> yes, and incorporated yeah. them into citizen Kane. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Orson Welles also a, sure that you know, 20 something year old writer, director, producer, you know, it's, it's a, it's a movie that is in a lot of ways about, um, power, power. Yeah. Loss of power. Um, in, in Pat's case, a, a dearth of power due to his disability. Um, yes. You know, there's a lot of overlap there.
0: Yeah. Much like Mank, I've also been bedridden for uh, a, a plenty of my life. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, the movie is hot off the presses, hot off the algorithm. If you were to mm-hmm. if, if if I want to keep up with the lingo, um, <laughs> uh, I want to go around. What were our thoughts watching this movie? um i'll just say that this is probably my uh most anticipated of this year Mm -hmm. um i had yikes never seen citizen kane before i saw mank i mean up at like up until i just saw citizen kane for the first time over thanksgiving Mm -hmm. um so what, what what were our thoughts about the movie uh, Rishi, you go first. Sorry, I, I, I'm still so a little fucked up about the Steelers losing, so uh, my, my yeah, hosting you know abilities.
1: And then Pat Taylor, we're also playing each other in fantasy football this week. so Let's, really, let's uh... also not talk about that. Okay, oh, no.
0: disgusting.
1: What was the question again? <laughs> no, the reaction to the movie. Oh, I um yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, also, like I said, you, you caught Pat and I right off the heels of the Steelers game. I also... We caught this movie fresh off the presses, and uh, I meant to watch it earlier this weekend. Didn't have a chance, so I I really just watched it in time for this podcast, guys. So mm-hmm. these are pretty fresh takes. Um, yeah,
0: good. Good. Like I really
1: say yeah. So the deep, but I mean, I enjoyed it. It's entertaining. It was a Fincher film. It was just nice to look at. I really, uh, really tried to play with the settings of my TV to make sure I was getting the full I had no idea what I was doing I was just like how do I make this brighter to see the black and white <laughs> yeah but yeah, not right. ruin because I just know how much time David Fincher and you know Eric Messerschmidt split on each frame but um so I'll have to have someone set up my tv for me but um early yeah. reaction it's good I, it's not Citizen Kane but it's good uh, really great takes for me I know I'm, I'm starting off <laughs> strong today <laughs> what so. about
2: you John so pat and i talked a little bit about the movie like yesterday we kind of got like really fresh takes i i saw the movie on sat no on friday night when it was first available and then pat watched it on saturday night i believe and yeah um i i kind of intentionally withheld a lot of my a lot of my takes and also some of my pushback against some of the things that pat was saying because i i really really fucking love this movie yeah like, I really love this movie. And I, I actually just watched this for, for a second time right before we recorded. Um, I just finished it about an hour and a half ago. And yeah, I really love the movie. Um, I think it's really beautiful. Um, I think it kind of like avoids some of like the unfortunate trappings of a lot of biopics. Um, I think it has like a lot of tenderness to it. I think that it has a lot of like it has a nice balance of Easter eggs for people who might know about Citizen Kane, who might know about this era of like Hollywood filmmaking but I think is also just like accessible enough as like a story about like a writer and, and about his experience with, you know, various power structures um, in the time that he's writing in. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie and I actually enjoyed it more after a, after a second watch. Mm. Um, some of the things I wasn't quite sure about in the first viewing, I really loved the second time around. So those are my, it's my general summation really loved yeah.
0: it. Yeah, I I agree. I I watched it a second time yesterday, and then I kind of did a third watch where I just did some of my favorite scenes. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, like, love in this movie, and you can tell, Mm -hmm. like, there's the added layer of uh, David Fincher directing something that, you know, he kind of pushed his father to write about. I mean, his father was a journalist. And, um. There are a lot of tender qualities in this film that I've never seen from him before. Mm-hmm. And I think John and I spoke about, uh, specifically we spoke, well, we can kind of get into this right now, but we spoke about the, the Mank and Amanda Seyfried movie scenes, like the uh, Marion Davis scenes. And I said the first time I watched it, I said they seemed really out of left field and they seemed really overly sentimental. And mm-hmm. like a little too gushy and gooey. On my second watch, they played a lot better. They played mm-hmm. a lot better. And maybe it's because I wasn't looking around so much. Like I I knew I was locked in. I knew what was gonna happen. Yeah. Um, but you kind I, of knew what the scenes were heading toward. Yeah, but I, I think like much like social network, the pace of this movie is really great. Mm -hmm. And I implore people to watch it a second time because this movie has a crazy rhythm. The flashbacks work way better the more I think about them. Um, So I should should say that the movie oscillates between Mankiewicz uh, bedridden in the middle of nowhere in California writing Citizen Kane Mm -hmm. and his kind of uh, like a romp through 1930s Hollywood, how he's navigating the studio system, the major players of the day, and this absolutely fucking amazing B plot of the of a, a huge election in California. Yeah. Between Upton Sinclair and Jim Merriman. Is that, that his name? Merriman? Something yeah, like something that. Something like that. Um so yeah, I, I was totally floored the second time I watched it, um, it, it doesn't feel like a lot of movies have been made about old Hollywood mm-hmm. and they scratch the surface, but they actually don't pop off. Like the dialogue doesn't pop off. And I was watching his, have you guys seen his girl Friday? No, I haven't. I like, need to, it, but I haven't. it's like a, it's like a Howard Hawks, very like, bah, 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 like ping mm-hmm. pong dialogue, a screwball comedy, it's right? a total, total screwball comedy. And, um, Mank has that. That like, you know, I watched that Ryan I watched like 10 minutes of that Ryan Murphy Hollywood thing. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's just like total cosplay, like old Hollywood cosplay. Whereas like I feel like Mank is like Mank and Hail Caesar to a certain extent is like this is what like we're this is what it
2: is. And it's kind of interesting, like, in terms of talking about, like, old Hollywood and talking about, like, it being, like, an homage to old Hollywood. It's really interesting that this movie is coming out, like, a year after, like, a, a really big, like, Hollywood event film by, like, a prestige director. Um mm. Obviously, just once upon a time in Hollywood. Like, yeah. it feels like there's a similar mm. sort of world that's being created there. And it's similar. I don't know. It's like we're getting insight into an aspect of a filmmaker that we haven't really seen before because Mm. like once upon a time in hollywood really does feel like a lot more tender and filled with a lot more love than a lot of quentin tarantino's movies do like we feel like all of his movies are like you know it's such a cliche but like a love letter to film or a love letter to a certain type of film whereas like you feel like once upon time in hollywood has a lot of love for the characters themselves and like the world that is being captured and mank doesn't quite have that because like it still is filled with like david fincher's more you know his just cynical worldview and his darker sort of <laughs> focus and his like feelings about human nature and the time that he's talking about is obviously a very fraught time in like the history of film and like the political framework um but you still do get like a lot of tenderness, um, and there are just some really tender scenes that I think are are I've I've not seen every single David Fincher film, and I haven't seen even like some major ones like Zodiac. Um, mm-hmm. But I know like are not what we necessarily go to uh, David Fincher for. So I was just really struck by the fact that you kind of have like these two pieces just kind of right one right after another.
0: Well, let's let's talk about a scene that like I, I love. The pit there, so there's a scene in this movie where a movie – so th- there's all these, like, group of very famous Hollywood writers. Uh, Mank, Gary Oldman, is one of the – is, like, in this kind of clique working for Paramount. And mm-hmm. you, you're introduced to Mank in the 1930s by showing him as a, like, degenerate gambler. Like, he's mm-hmm. betting $5,000 on a coin flip. And you <laughs> go into – the head of the studio's office, because he thinks that they're going to pitch him. They're going to pitch him something that they've been working on. And it's this (laughs) lovely scene where each of the writers passes this made up, this like incredible game of telephone to each other. And I was (laughs) like, wow, this is in a David Fincher film. Like, It's funny. It's like, it is cynical in a way, but it's more of a goof. It's played for goofs. Yeah. Like Zucker, like Rishi's on the social networks episode, like Zuckerberg's humor is always played to cut and damage, which Manx is later, which we will get to. Mm-hmm. But this scene is just like so beautiful and playful. And yeah. um, I, I like watched it six times. I literally could not get enough <laughs> yeah. of it. It was um, like an
1: improv. They're just like, yes. Like, you know, start a sentence. The next day yeah, you yeah, just yeah. made it up. And then when they, you know, go to the <laughs> surprise, yeah. the new guy on the spot. Yeah. It's,
2: it's funny. Well, and, and that playfulness is definitely like, you can see that throughout the film. And if like anyone who like hasn't seen the film or doesn't, hasn't been plan on watching the film, like if you just watch the trailer, like the trailer is number one, like really incredible. It's a really incredible trailer. It's really well done. And it does a really nice job of like capturing an element of the movie because the trailer is funny. There's like a frenetic energy to it. And that is definitely an element of the film. And there is that playfulness to it, but there is also this whole other like really quiet aspect to the film. The the movie was much quieter than I was expecting it Mm. uh, to be. Um, And the pacing of it was just much, it does go back and forth, but like the scenes where we're on the ranch, like obviously those are super quiet and low energy. So yeah, but like that playfulness definitely comes through. And like the scene that Pat is talking about is definitely like it, it's yeah, it like emblemizes that whole thing. Cause and I think it just captures like some element of like what it was probably like to work in the studio system at the yeah. time. Like when all of these movies were being made, when there was like so much excitement about like films sort of becoming like the big new thing. And just like you, everyone, like you could make anything at that point. Cause nothing else had been made at that point. And there were like all of these, you know, really great writers who were coming in who were much smarter than the movies that they were coming in to work on. And them trying to like push the boundaries, but also trying to like stay within those boundaries, and there's like a self awareness of the fact that they're also just like kind of churning out like complete garbage um, as well. Like you got that sense during that like, that that scene where they're imp- where they're improvising the storyline. So I just thought like that it captured like you know that aspect of of what it was like to work in the
0: studio system at that point really well. All of the creatives in this movie are the heroes <laughs> and all of the executives are like clueless right out of touch you know air quotes the villains yeah and you can definitely see like okay like this is kind of like Fincher is like very much having fun here because like famously like i read a like a, a new york times article where he was talking about like getting notes from the studio about zodiac and he's saying like, "Oh, these fucking people—they don't know what the fuck they're talking about." And like that—that right. that scene in the, like the the pitch scene is basically like the cre- They are so cool that they can come up with this, and the studio exec would be like, "Yeah, okay, like okay, cool." <laughs> like, he yeah. doesn't accept the script, but like, that's just who they are. I would
2: push that and say that it's it's the the creatives are posited as the heroes but specifically it's the writers who are posited as the mm. heroes and like i think the directors in some sense are kind of like th- they're not quite as like evil and soulless um and devoid of any like you know vision as the studio execs and all those people but they're not they're, they are kind of like put in this in between uh like place like i remember um it, actually it's in that that very scene where where they improvise the storyline like i think Mank says something along the lines of like like the guy says like oh like that's that's a good storyline and Mank says yeah it's director proof and <laughs> yeah. that like even a director couldn't like fuck this up yeah 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 um well and that, i think that was still
1: in an era okay. when like oh sorry yeah that was still there when they were kind of coming up when like yeah directors were more just you know they were for hire like you know it was yeah. like the writers came up with the story the producers in the studio churned them out you know this is kind of pre-auteur theory right. even you know being coming out and like before a bunch of the big directors of the forties and fifties kind of got right. more power. But I, that was actually what I thought was one of the most interesting things is that, um, isn't it kind of interesting that, to have like Fincher take the side of the writer um, <laughs> in this film, like um, especially in the whole Orson Welles or like Mank authorship debate. I mean, he, it, the movies, I don't know, Pat, maybe you know more about the backstory that Fincher's dad wrote this. And um, yeah, I just wonder how much that played into. It was just kind of interesting to see fin- like Orson Welles is a like, he the way it's portrayed in Mank is, you know, he clearly takes the side that Mank wrote the film, even if in real life it was more debated and they, you know, they co-wrote it and he edited it or down obviously or whatever. But yeah, it's interesting. Pinterest is like an auteur director. um, is taking the side of the writer. I don't, I don't know really quite enough to make it that, but you guys watched it a couple times. So what do you think? Well,
2: yeah, That is interesting because yeah, because like it is, the movie is like a collaboration, like between like father and son, like kind of like a posthumous, collaboration but also yeah. like obviously when jack fincher was still alive so you do get the sense that there is like a sort of like i don't know on jack fincher's end like as as a as a writer as a journalist like you do get the sense that he's kind of like he obviously has his own stake on like who's more important in the filmmaking process
0: um, and all of the writers like make like he used to be uh he used to be a journalist mankowitz mm-hmm. used to be a drama critic right like in fact all of those guys in the pitching room they all their background is like, like the New Yorker, uh, New York right. Times, like okay, they all—that's yeah. how they got started. Um, right, and they all wrote plays as well. And like yes, when, yes. when,
3: um, when Man- well, yeah.
2: when Mankiewicz when Man- was, was like connected with Orson Welles and RKO Pictures, like he was like working on radio plays and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, like they're all like, and again, like they're a lot better than the stuff that they're they tend to be tapped to write and
0: work mm. on. But it was kind of thought as like a gold rush. Like yeah. you, as long as you just get to Hollywood and you can string, they talk about just like string a sentence together. Right. You're going <laughs> to fucking like be a millionaire. Um, right. What did you guys think about the dialogue in this movie? Go ahead. Go ahead. Rishi. Yeah, no,
1: I was just going to say something Pat said earlier. I mean, this movie, um, it did remind me a little bit of hail Caesar and also the Coen brothers film, um, hmm. you know, Barton Fink, just another movie about a writer. Um, and so the dialogue, similar you know just like johnny said in the trailer it kind of captures a lot of the tone of the of the movie as far as that certain element of like old hollywood type of repartee and dialogue and the slang and everything um so i mean i thought they played that up like you know really well and it was fun and witty john what were you gonna say no i
2: i pretty much agree yeah i mean i liked that it was in a lot of ways like an homage to like that yeah very quick punchy sort of like you know, it's not quite screwball, but, like, there's, like, that overlap between, like, you know, movies like um, His Girl Friday or Some Like It Hot or The Apartment or whatever. Like, it's just, it's very quick, it's very punchy and very stylistic. And I think it lives in those moments very well, but it also does feel very modern. Like, there are just, there are obviously some moments where you're reminded of the fact that, yeah, this is a movie that is obviously coming out in the year 2020. Like, it's not totally trying to, like, be a throwback to that entire time frame, and that, you know, like that's captured in like the, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like the cinematography of it, like it is black and white, but it's also like it's widescreen, which obviously that wouldn't have happened. Yes. Like that wasn't a thing back then. And like, it doesn't. The totally... artificial
0: cigarette burns in the frame. Yeah, yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I, I like, I really liked that aspect of it. I, I thought the dialogue was just, yeah, it was, it was fun, but it didn't feel like, cheap or it didn't feel like it was you know like a, a poor man's understanding of like that world like you got the sense that like everyone involved really like did their homework yeah how did you feel about the dialogue pat
0: i mean i it's it, it's it was just refreshing i think it was just memorable like it's it's definitely going to be one of those screenplays for me where i remember the lines which i feel like is increasingly rare and yeah. it's tough because screenplays now are so many of them are just blueprints yeah so many of them are just blueprints for the director and then the director takes those those instructions from the screenplay and goes but um which which Bankowitz actually talks about in the movie yeah well. <laughs> yeah he taps into
2: that because because at yeah. some point like the his editor is like yeah you've like made a really great screenplay and then he's kind of like, yep, yeah, well, now it's, Oscar- it's uh, Orson Welles, you know, to do w- with what he pleases, essentially.
0: Yeah. And it's obviously like the dialogue is theatrical, like yeah. every like Mank disarms people. And there's just like a very funny scenes where um, he's like talking to like when he meets Amanda Seafried and he's talking to like Louis B. Mayer and William Randolph Hearst. That whole conversation is like that's not root- that's like not really rooted in realism, but right. like it's played to such dramatic effect that you learn so much about the characters and their headspaces and all of that yeah. stuff so yeah typical it's really hard to find that balance between like yeah you want you want you want it to be lived in, but you also it is a movie, you know what I mean you want it to zing you want it to zag, so yeah, yeah. I gotta snaps for the snaps for the dialogue.
2: <laughs> well and I, and I think it it captures like cuz in a lot of ways like the movie has to be an homage to like its source material, which are not source material but its subject, which is obviously Mank but is Citizen Kane and that's a big part of what Citizen Kane is. Like mm-hmm. it's it is a movie that is very ordinary in a lot of aspects, but it also takes like a very ordinary subject and plays it up to this in this very theatrical sort of like shakespearean tragic hero kind of way um which you know i think it it's fitting that we're this is the second time that we've had rishi on the podcast and the last time we did that was with the social network which which also kind of does it does a similar sort of thing um you know in terms of like taking the ordinary and like really playing it up and giving it like this grand theatrical sort of vibe to it
0: both movies are about hubris to a to Mm -hmm. a to a different yeah. extent. And about yeah. the
1: creative process and control to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah you guys only call me for uh, Fincher movies, apparently. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> yeah, we're a gonna, Fincher I guess like I have to wait for the. the you're our Fincher, you're, you're a Fincher whisperer. You know him very, very well. So oh, you yeah, gave him coffee one friend. time. Or no, you gave him, you gave him headphones? No, <laughs> yes, what did you give me? him? I gave him coffee. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I gave him a gotcha. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you gave him some of those actually he needed to carry out his job. Although I don't know, I would imagine David Fincher probably doesn't do very well without his coffee. So maybe Pat was no, think, doing does the, it, great, the does greater anybody?
1: service.
2: Yeah, <laughs> don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but first, coffee.
0: <laughs> um. Oh boy. I just, my mind just went blank. Oh, um, no. I do. Just had a moment where his mind went blank, and he was like, "What am I doing right now?"
1: <laughs> he needed. My,
0: <laughs> he was am I in stats? At the- yeah. yeah. I, I, now I feel like when my teacher, thirty, when my 30 episodes like, of this, my, when my teacher's like, Patrick, can you go off? Can you go off mute and turn your camera on, please? <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I'm in the corner doing yoga, like talking to right. myself, like. um. <laughs> What 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 were some of your other favorite scenes? Um, there's actually a like a god damn. It's just a fun movie. Oh so like fire!
1: You said the dialogue, Gary Oldman's lines. I mean, he gets great lines. He plays them magnificently. I mean, I like when he w- when he woke up, um, you know, at Marion's uh, film set the first time, and he's just like, you know, wanders in, starts talking to the head of MGM and like famous producer Van Dalberg. was just like, where am I? Like, you know, that was great. Yeah. I mean, the final dinner scene where he throws up the wine yeah that's um, great is a pretty yeah you know like to build up like you know like basically this movie is pretty is structured pretty simply like pat said it takes but it would without the flashbacks it would just be like a bottle episode of a movie where he's writing at a wrench, kind of like barton fink where he's just like writing um and that one really goes like into his head and with this one you know we get to kind of go further with the flashbacks um but with that kind of episodic nature just like which i guess is kind of like citizen kane as well it's you know episodic snippets of a man's right. life
2: right in this case right. it's
1: like episodic snippets of this sort of air hollywood and manx journey through it so oh, there's so many like remember, the election night scene yeah um you know yeah the political i mean re- watching citizen kane like before this and then watching this movie and the sort of political stuff and the you know studio creative stuff you know just as like i did, you know citizen kane came out 80 years ago and i don't know if any has anything about politics or media or you know yeah <laughs> business and uh well, we should defer really to, to john for anything it doesn't like it though i mean the, the i could i could talk of, about that
2: i could talk about <laughs> that like for an entire episode in of itself um yeah that entire aspect of it really hit me um like both because like i think the obvious thing is that most people will look at this look at the you know for those who haven't seen the movie or aren't familiar with it, like the political dynamic there it's is that projects, um, yeah. it, it takes place during um, the uh, 1934 gubernatorial election between um, it's F I looked at Fra- Frank, Frank Miriam, um, mm-hmm. who is the GOP nominee and Upton Sinclair who um, wrote the jungle, which was like a hugely influential work because it like shed light on various like uh, injustices, like in the, like, Chicago meatpacking, right? Yeah, Chicago meatpacking industry and also other things like that shed like light on like corruption and injustices in like the oil industry. And yeah, so like it's about that election. And so much of the movie is just about like pitting the, you know, business interests against like the you Know these socialist impulses, and obviously, like, of Sinclair is like, um, kind of like derided for being a socialist and threatening to upend like every aspect of like American, you know, principles and stuff like that. And it makes sense to look at it through the lens of like the GOP versus the Democratic Party, but like, for me, I also obviously looked at this through the lens of like the progressive leftist sort of movement that has been building in like the past like few years. And that is like being kind of like symbolized by like the candidacy of Bernie Sanders during the primary and the red scare element, like the socialist shaming of that whole thing. Um So like, it just kind of obviously brought all that up for me and I was very, very angry, but it also was like, wow, this has been going on for like mm. a very, very long time. And is just like the same story because there's a whole aspect of the plot where like the studio is responsible for putting out like what we would describe now as fake news um which involves like people (laughs) yeah like actors who are pretending to be like poor people who are saying like I don't want a socialist running my country because they're gonna take what little I have when like Mank hears it on the radio and he's like oh that woman like she has like five houses and like has like a million acres and ranch property like her way of life is not being threatened but she's like posing as like a common person so yeah it was just like a really it was interesting to kind of like tap into that aspect of you know that culture and also like the role that studio execs played in that because they were also like in the pockets of you know various special interest groups mm-hmm. um like William Randolph Hearst and and other people
0: well i mean was, let, we're going to talk about spoilers right now but in the movie the the guy this this sort of um I guess he's like a camera operator a d but mm-hmm. he's been steadfastly loyal to the studio he's a friend of Manx mm-hmm. and he they give him he's wanted to direct and the studio rewards mm-hmm. him by giving like letting him uh, direct these like fake fake interviews basically mm-hmm. these fake political propaganda. And he sees that they have uh, – that these ads are – Upton Sinclair is losing on election night. And the guy sees that he has – I mean who knows if, if they were – probably they did make a difference. Those, right. video, those uh, films did make a difference. And he kills himself. So right. it's kind of interesting like how like this is how the studios this, – this is how corporations appreciate loyalty. Right, You know, this is a guy who who always put the studio before him. You know, he's just dying to express himself and he realizes like what he's actually done. Like the one time he gets to express himself, look what it's got him. And if you think about it, it's the same thing with Mank because Mank doesn't make another screenplay after Citizen Kane. Yeah, that's
3: great.
0: Yeah. Like he's kind of just like blacklisted completely by the time that he hands over Citizen Kane to Orson Welles, you know, yeah. the movie ends with him and Orson having a massive fight. And it's kind of like, we all kind of, I read that as like, we only have one shot at greatness and that's it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which is it's like, all about like aligning yourself with the right people.
0: Yes. Yes. Um,
2: especially at that point with everything being so consolidated within like, you know, a couple different studios. Um, who had like their own allegiances to different people. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just, it was interesting to kind of see like, cause you, you really got, they did a nice job of capturing like the excitement that people had like for Upton Sinclair and the degree to which he was like such a, such a unique person in American mm-hmm. politics. And played in American, by, played by. <laughs> uh Mr. Bill Nye himself that was crazy I I know (laughs) I'm
1: very confused by that
2: (laughs) same I same I heard the voice and I was like that sounds kind of like Bill Nye and then like they like zoomed in on him but you couldn't see his face and like I recognized his you know I recognized his frame and I was like I think that's Bill Nye and then I looked it up and I was like that's that's Bill Nye the science guy and yeah and just like how how successfully like these various people who said this guy was an idealist and said this guy was like undermining the American way of life. And they just like completely took the wind out of that moment. And yeah, just like kind of went back to like business as usual in California politics. Um, That I will say that that scene where Mank talks to like the guy who directed the political ads was a really, really wonderful moment. Um, a very sad moment, obviously, but just like the way that he kind of like reassures him and tries to make him feel better and and alleviate like his guilt um, was really well done.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of um, I was I was thinking about how that scene where the head of the head of MGM Louis B Mayer goes in front of the people, that all the people in the studio, yeah. and says, "Hey." We're gonna have a pay cut, but <laughs> yeah. you're you're gonna get a pay cut, but we're gonna get through this together. Yeah. And how it's just like how you just have to put on a different fucking hat to plea, to please different people. And um Well, yeah. and someone yells out, they were like, Are you also taking a pay cut? And he doesn't yeah. say anything. <laughs> he doesn't
2: respond. He's just like, We have to get through this together because we're a family.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the timeliness, but also I guess just the timelessness of, you know, these talking points, like, that this movie is dropping in the midst of, you know, the pandemic and, like, the same kind of issues, economic crisis, our CEO's taking pay cuts, yeah, like the proto-Bernie Sanders-type candidate, and it's like, um, on the one end, yeah, it's like, you know, opportunity time to drop, but I guess it maybe is just more about that history is just, you know, a flat circle, or it's just, it repeats itself a six-day, so. (laughs) yeah, And, yeah, the scene where he, you know, talks to the, the director before he you know, meets his tragic end. I, it also, I think, preceded by the scene where he sees the reels for the first time. Like Manx seeing that, I thought was also one of the standout scenes. Like just seeing the the news reels, which were, yeah. which I think was a, was a real thing that you know did happen, and you know, obviously impacted like the election. Um, and just how insidious those were. Like, and just yeah. like, just think about that as like just a continuation of you know, obviously just the political system how it sort of always has worked. But thinking about using the new media relatively you know new medium of newsreels and cinema to, um and you know of course fast forwarding that you know through the decades to now now that's accelerated uh, yeah. and the way they you know the it was i mean it's even more insidious than the the radio spots because um you know they had half the people saying like oh we support sinclair but they would make those you know people of different races or right. some of the people you know migrating from the dust bowl to california so right. like you know very already <laughs> yet it's like again like wow the timeliness and the timelessness of like the dog whistles and stuff like that yeah um but just, and the, but just the way that scene's presented um and like that's the way the whole movie kind of plays with this like you know really big theatrical dialogue i think fincher really you know the way he shot it too like beautiful compositions but more grounded to kind of it because this movie is more like it's got more of that playwright type kind of john like you were saying back to you know when citizen came him out that kind of you know, dialogue when the writers were coming from from the stage, um, right? But of course, Citizen Kane kind of combined that with also like formal innovations with the camera and stuff like that as well. Which, obviously, I guess that's maybe for another part. But yeah, I mean, I think this just did a good job of capturing all of that and some of the politics of you know Citizen Kane as well, like showing yeah. where Mank got some of the inspiration from for those characters. Rishi, you you
2: saying that bit about like the the new art form and sort of like this moment of like realizing like that it can be used like for evil in addition to like just being used for like fluffy entertainment yeah. um it, it makes me think about like the social network and it makes me think about like facebook and social media and it, it that makes me want like david fincher to like do a reappraisal of like mark zuckerberg and facebook mm. and, and like kind of like tackle that because obviously when the social network came out like that wasn't even like it wasn't it just wasn't an aspect of the conversation yeah. um but it is interesting that like, you have like this figure who is in some ways complicit with to a much lesser degree than Mark Zuckerberg is with everything that's going on with social media. Um, But he finds himself being complicit and kind of finds himself like, you know, trying to just reconcile that and grapple with that. And another great scene involving this is, is when he goes to Irving, what's his name? Irving. Allberg. Yeah. Yeah. when he, when he goes to him and like, it's pretty much like you've got to you've got to pull this you can't do this like you can't air these this is wrong and the guy's just kind of like that's politics baby like yeah. that is what it is and i'm not going to be ashamed about that um well also my job he,
0: he hits him with the old jd vance and says hey if you actually showed up to work yeah. you would actually <laughs> like make a difference
2: right right <laughs> yeah putting in the work yeah putting in the putting in the man hours um uh yeah but then another another scene that i really liked which it all it's all like it's all like in conversation with one another which maybe is a testament to the fact that like maybe the strongest aspect of this film is the stuff having to do with the politics and having to do with like william hurst and like his influence on like mank's life and also culture as a whole but like the the dinner party before the scene with mank and um Amanda I Seyfried's character uh just like that dinner party where they're just like ping-ponging back and forth between yeah they're like that, they're the, like
0: who cares about Hitler we don't want a yeah. commie <laughs> we don't want a right. socialist <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
2: yeah um you just got you got that sense of like being at one of those like dinner parties where like it's there's a lot of people but it also feels very small because like there's no private conversation happening it's always like hey tell us about your trip overseas like what did you see and it's like there are like 35 people in the room. Yeah. But there's just like one person talking and one person sort of like holding court at any given time. And the scene is just very well blocked and it's just very well orchestrated. Yeah. And I love the guy like on the piano, just like <laughs> playing uh playing <laughs> yeah. along to like like just doing bits with the piano. Um that's like that's goals right there. I want to do that at every party.
0: I was thinking you see a lot of um like the citizen Kane, um like Charlie Kane. Marion Davis stuff where yeah. he'd be like, oh, you like you're no fun anymore in Citizen Kane. You see a lot of that in um William Randolph Hearst, Amanda Seafried, that that dynamic. That that was like, okay, this is where he's getting that dynamic in yeah. Citizen Kane from. Where yeah, she's like, sure. they're talking about the actor that's very handsome. And, yeah. and William Randolph Hearst is like, oh, I don't know if we should talk about that. Like, what's the <laughs> point of talking about that stuff? Like that yeah. little that like this guy has everything, but he's still very insecure and he's you know he's not all there with women
2: um, right right Pat, I can only imagine like how with how mad you were that jD Vance was able to land Usha how mad were you oh, that william randolph Rand- william Randolph Hearst could land um Marion davis
0: um, I i w- I was uh, listen it i you know I don't like those kind of uh looks dynamics i, sure. I, I just they yeah. just don't sit well with my i have a sensitive tummy for that stuff sure you have a sense of justice yeah i mean it, you know if we're gonna be honest like sarah mankowitz is much better looking than um herman mankowitz that is true but that you know true. at least he was fun yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah listen, and not they, a
2: million years old
0: yeah i mean listen he's this is before the age of phones. So she was okay with him, like landing in a ditch. Cause he's so fucking drunk. Like, right. You know, <laughs> yes. Different, different, different time. time, different
2: time, yeah, better I time. Who's to say
1: this movie. I don't know. Yeah. Through the roof. <laughs> through the roof.
2: Um, what are, let's talk about the, the performances themselves, the acting. Mm. Well, I loved,
0: I don't, I didn't like this guy in the souvenir. <laughs> but I right. loved the guy who played Orson Welles. Yeah. Really? I thought he like he got the the sort of the the theatricality like the heft like he he clearly put on a little bit of weight cuz like Orson Welles famously like addicted to eating like became right really really big. Orson you should have hit me up for some training tips. Um <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh I shouldn't even I'm so sorry. I'm you. knocking on wood. I'm so that was you. a really bad. Joke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Smirk smirk. Um, <laughs> uh, I I loved the voice. It was like I was hearing Orson Wells. I've I've heard his his um depiction has been panned. I've like read a couple reviews where people are oh, like it? it's not that's not Orson Wells. That's not blah 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 I listened to a podcast where someone was like Orson Welles with the goatee. That's David Fincher in the nineties. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Cause honestly, I, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, it was kind of like I, the performance didn't stand out to me that much. I thought the okay. Orson Welles report, um, which is interesting, but the goatee part is, it's a very weird conversation with Fincher Then like putting like, cause he's making himself like the villain in that scene. And, right. <laughs> and on the outside, or, so, yeah yeah, we, yeah or or maybe or maybe
2: Reeves. maybe that was Jack fincher like specifying like this guy's gotta have a goatee <laughs> you know what I'm talking about Orson
0: <laughs> this guy's gotta have a goatee and he didn't have a good time on Alien Three, and
3: uh, <laughs> right, right,
0: Yeah, now those parts that really come out is because he is critiquing. You know, it's not
1: necessarily totally a love letter to Hollywood. Right, it's critiquing all of the studio system and all that. Yeah, so, right, And right. The suits, I guess. So,
2: I mean, I, I, I also I liked, I liked, um, I liked that that aspect of um of the movie. I, I did like Tom Burke's portrayal. I just, I like Tom Burke a lot. I, I, unlike Pat, um, I haven't seen him. I don't I'm, think. And... I, I like the souvenir because i like to be correct about things um <laughs> and the first time that i saw the souvenir i was like wow that guy looks a lot like orson wells and then when i found out that mink was coming out and I looked at the cast list i was like oh tom burke is playing orson wells like apparently everyone else thought that as well um, he
0: looks like it's really good like yeah picture by picture comparison
2: oh it totally is yeah it's the role he was he was uh he was born to play and i yeah i i also i don't I have seen like a lot of like Orson Welles like interviews like my grandfather like loved Orson Welles and like would always talk to me about Orson Welles and would like send me Orson Welles interviews like from throughout like his life and so I I didn't like see this and I wasn't like oh my god like that's a perfect portrayal of Orson Welles but it definitely gets at like an aspect of his character like you definitely get the sense that this is a guy who just came from like you know a theater rehearsal like at this theater that he was trying to like start like you definitely yeah. felt like that sense of like self-importance and that he kind of like knew what hot shit he was like at age yeah. whatever 24 25 <laughs>
0: what what's my what mind? was my mind, uh, historically what was my mind? <laughs> they gave yeah. him a blank check and <laughs> final cut at 24 like that was I know. it and he and made the, a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he didn't fuck it up. But, but
1: the, 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 the tragic know. part, like initially the box office, I know, but like it's a good movie. It's a like great. Yeah. So, the, yeah. Well, the, I, I can't believe he was that young when he made that movie.
0: The tragic part is that Hearst shut it down. Yeah. They shut exactly. it down. They they like blacklisted oh, exactly. the movie, okay. on like from theaters. Like they were basically like. <laughs> they leveraged all the power over the the theater chains. Were like, you're not going to play this.
1: Yeah, yeah I and mean, like, know it got, like,
0: it was like critically like strong
1: when it came out, but yeah, it, it didn't do as well as the box office. I guess because powers it, that be were trying to
0: yeah, yeah campaign it, against it. It didn't like do. It didn't like become what it is until like kids went to film school in the si- '50s and yeah. '60s, and yeah. it was like screened again and stuff. Um, huh. Much yeah. like Nut boys not beloved by, right. the right. by the allergy community unnoticed by the allergy community. but you know give it 10 15 years time right, and it will right. be shown in every middle school throughout the <laughs> <laughs> throughout right the- much <laughs> like pat and john on their best
2: behavior yes. um yes not quite Perhaps at so the number of reviews that time. we would like to have you know at this point for how long we've been doing yes. this but, but guys you know, it's
0: christmas really come on yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, do it, do it for us. Do it for Mank. It's what Mank would want. It's what Jack yeah, Fincher please. would want. Can we pull that card? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's kidding. He's kidding. He's kidding. Yeah,
2: yeah. Only jokes. Um, but yes, but I thought the performance, I thought um, Tom Burke's performance. I also thought that, I thought Gary Oldman's performance was really yeah. great. Um, yeah. It wasn't quite as like scenery chewing as I was maybe expecting it to be. Oh my like, God,
0: that's such a good point. I thought it was good. Yeah. I thought it, he was just going to chew from one end to the other, but like, yeah, it was very, yeah, it was measured. Um,
2: because no, like, I definitely sense. understand why he got the Oscar for Darkest Hour for playing Winston Churchill. Like, who? It's just the kind of uh you wouldn't like him pat uh for many different reasons actually he was another
1: important historical figure at this time period maybe someone uh, that you would have like for
2: some reason read a 900 page biography of like at age 17 or something well
0: i was i at a young age i was informed of at what winston churchill did to the irish so i Uh, have not been a fan since then oh
2: see that's why i like him (laughs) (laughs) uh funny funny (laughs) um but i i was kind of expecting like maybe a little bit more of that like just that like him leaning into it to the degree that he does in darkest hour but no but i i thought it was like a good balance of like making it very clear like who this person is like obviously mank is a drunk a mank is like super like gregarious and hams it up at parties and like does have that identity as like a court jester um and like a loose cannon but you do also have those more quiet moments like at the ranch and that his dynamic with Amanda Seyfried is like really mm. wonderful. And Lily
0: Collins change. too. I mean, and Lily
2: Collins. Yeah. And, and his wife Um, and, and poor, poor Sarah. Poor Sarah. Um,
0: <laughs> oh my God.
2: Jeez. That moment when she, when she like is like leaving, is this a spoiler kind of, but because it is a really great moment when she's leaving, like after she's kind of like already torn him a new asshole and she like stops and turns around and is like, Oh, and one more thing no one is ever allowed to call me poor Sarah ever again. Uh, It's just really, really wonderful. But yeah, but so Gary Oldman is great. And I think like the big story of the movie, even though like I wish she were in the movie even more is Amanda Seyfried. My God. I'm so I'm just so glad because like, I think people have come around to the fact that like she is good and she isn't just Karen from Mean Girls. Um, But she hasn't, she just hasn't really been in like the kind of movie that allows her to have that sort of like
0: John, we have talked about a world. lot of Amanda Seyfried movies.
2: That's true. We I have think talked about anyone quite else. a few <laughs>
0: Amanda Seyfried movies. Yeah, Jennifer's Body. <laughs> yep. Mama Mia. Mama Mia. Now, here we go again. Yes, and now uh, Mank. Um, yeah. Well, I just, think so. This
2: this is really just an Amanda Seyfried fa- fan podcast. Um, Amanda, you're more than welcome to come on the podcast. Um, if
0: not, write a review.
2: Yeah. Yeah. At the very least. Um, we'll, we'll see if we can, you know, we've got a lot of plans, you know, between now and the new year, but we can maybe, we can maybe slot you in, uh, can bump someone else. But yeah, no,
0: she's, she's, she's really wonderful on this. It's like the fact that her hair is the most like brilliant <laughs> and colorful thing in the movie yeah. it's like in every outfit she wears like shines like you enter the movie and she's literally on the pet like she's on like the the burning thing she's like on a pedestal and like at the last fight when she wears that like marching band outfit like yeah it's like calm down pat calm down sorry (laughs)
2: sorry get sorry. off the table will you um sorry. no that that the scene where but i where... also
0: like lily collins because <laughs> she's from england
2: <laughs> yeah she, she's, is she on the crown is she one of the people is she on the crown it sounds i feel like she there has are a name seven people
0: listening to this podcast right now <laughs> who, just crashed, cars, who yeah. just crashed their yeah. cars who just
2: crashed their car sorry she has a name that sounds like she should be on the crown um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, Pedigree. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but to go back to Amanda Seyfried for just a second, one of my favorite shots in the movie is when, um, uh, is it is it Marion Davies or Davis? Dave, Davis. I love Davies. Oh, Davies. Davies. Mar- Marion Davies. When she um, when she pulls up to the ranch, like to read the script, and like, well, you don't know that it's her in the car, and then like the door just opens, and she just like she just like bends forward and just peeks her head out. It's just like the look that she gives Gary Olpin is mm-hmm. really, really incredible. It's a really beautiful scene. Mm. Um,
0: I mean, no love for uh, Louis B. Mayer. I mean, he's so fantastic. Oh, in this yes. Movie. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, like the one shot where he's like, I feel it here. Yeah. Here, <laughs> and here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah uh yeah which is which is what
2: pat says anytime i ask him like how excited he was about how you know well a recording session went
0: <laughs> yeah and it's all lower it's not yeah. high it's all lower <laughs> yeah. yes exactly really very much below please leave test.
1: that in your reviews of this week's episode <laughs> <Yeah>, everybody <please. laughs>
2: um yeah no louis b Mare is really great and then um william randall first like uh his i, I don't know who, who the guy yeah is.
0: oh yes 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 um yeah, he was really a great. Shredded role. old guy. Top yeah. of <laughs> I, he's jacked. I've seen yeah. sh- I've seen seen beach pictures of him. is that weird? <laughs> I'm so sorry. No. I assume you've he's seen i I assume that you've Everybody. seen beach pictures
2: of everyone in every movie you've ever seen. <laughs> right, 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 I assume yeah. that's what you do before you rate it on Letterboxd. And I assume yeah. that it plays it, a direct role in how high of a rating is, you is get is the movie.
0: Where, where are the padding where are the beach pictures of Paddington? where's my guy strutting this true. stuff on the beach true but he does spend most of the weird? movie
2: without a shirt on goals See. So yeah goals. <laughs> yeah
0: exactly maybe that would made the allergy be... community respond more positively to that <laughs> voice this movie did need paddington just a little bit of paddington would have been fun like oh, yeah. paddington like <laughs> holding the camera like being like <laughs> like being in charge of the camera. Yeah, it's what you said like leo to the
1: lion right like where was yeah i don't
0: know. yeah that yeah, <laughs> yeah leo agreed.
1: the lion
2: paddington the bear yeah um, paddington <laughs> would have very willingly given up half of his salary in fact he would have given up all of his salary um if louis v asked him to um, yeah he would have been the first one to volunteer at that does he get meeting. paid
1: in like what does he get fish honey i don't know marmalade he gets paid in marmalade oh, sandwiches marmalade yeah.
0: man you can't buy him with honey. He's not a rich guy. Rishi has bear. clearly just outed himself as never Richie's having seen never seen Paddington. Paddington. I know,
1: despite John's best efforts. On <laughs>
2: well, it's okay. Pat hadn't until a couple weeks ago. So. Okay,
0: but I changed. All right, I changed. Yes.
2: You saw the light. Yes, that is true.
0: You um, know what? I, I do wish. I wish there was just a little bit more Randolph Hearst and Manx stuff. Yeah definitely because that, relationship. that whole that whole so, tension like the movie posits that their entire dynamic yeah. is what spawned citizen kane and i kind of just wanted a little bit more like yeah. he does have that lovely moment where he takes him through the house just to kick him out that yeah. was great and it's like the <laughs> like the longest like at like g- goodbye ever but i kind of wish there was just a little bit more with them
2: yeah that that's like that's when that's like when I visited Pat um, at the beginning of <laughs> yeah. quarantine, and uh, when when I I confessed that I had a jar of Skippy um, back in my house back in Syracuse, and he took me he took me by the around the shoulder and gave me a little anecdote, a little parable, and then opened yeah. the door and then kicked I'm me out, and I've been, I've been back here ever since. Yeah.
0: I said, let me tell you about the organ grinder and the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his monkey yeah. podcaster. Right. Who had right. a peanut his,
1: butter sandwich once.
2: <laughs> yeah. His, his, his monkey podcast producer. Um, no, that is true. I, I do feel like there are a couple aspects of the movie where we kind of like have to take people's word for it. Yeah. One of that is like the relationship between Hearst and, um, and Mank. Like this idea that he really like adores him and likes having him around um, we don't really see that like evidence as much as I would have won, wanted, wanted us to. And then also just like we, there are a couple moments where I think we have the exact, like the exact phrase uttered like several times about the movie. Um, something along the lines of like, this is the best thing you've ever written Mank. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> I just wanted to, I knew why it was the best thing that Mank has ever written because I had just seen citizen Kane or just rewatched it and read yeah. a shit ton about it before watching Mank. But, and, and, um, Hausman, john houseman whatever yes. his editor yeah he he does kind of talk about like what makes it hard to digest and then what makes it like really good so i i don't i don't think it's totally fair to be like it's not accounted for and we do, do totally have to take their word for it but i just would have liked it to be a little more earned or maybe just not them use that exact phrase like several times throughout the movie mm. <laughs> um because like it 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 can't be reinforced enough like how how good the screenplay is and how much it obviously changed cinematic history and you don't want it. you don't want it to be like a a youtube video like you know youtube video essay citizen, like crunched citizen into the movie. kane
0: explained in five minutes
2: <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> that's what
1: this podcast is for
2: everybody <laughs> yeah precisely yeah i mean i would have i wish we were brought in personally but um uh yeah this podcast wasn't wasn't uh being made when this movie was was being produced um but yeah i don't know that that was one complaint i had i feel like that could have done have been done a little bit more deftly i also felt like there was some element of like and it's hard because writing is obviously such an internal process and it's hard to like express that externally but there is some element of just like we are also just supposed to take the movie's word for it that like suddenly he was struck with inspiration and he just like you know made the movie like
0: overnight like i would have liked a little bit more that's such a good point he really does just start writing as soon as he gets to like the retreat
2: yeah like there's no
0: like laying around for five days like yeah you know when i have to write an essay right i look out the window <laughs> right. for seven hours right right meals right. i call you too like <laughs> right. you know it doesn't right. just... he has a, bu-
2: a beautiful british woman <laughs> doting on him yes, and, yes. Yeah. taking
1: his notes yeah
0: yeah Do you also have a
1: like a, a locked bottle under your typewriter or it but it says creatine. A tranquilizer yeah right yeah <laughs> right, yeah says it's just green tea and kombucha exactly yeah <laughs>
0: that's uh, okay. how we that is that a great <laughs> that is a great game of telephone telephone because i said creatine and oh. rishi said green tea and kombucha <laughs> that's incredible
1: <laughs> we'll blame Zoom all of for which that, i'll take freudian yeah
0: <laughs> yeah
2: but yeah i mean rishi also knows you so like it's all it's all in the same wheel it's all notes. part of the
0: the patrick sandy citizen kane uh, cinematic universe yeah, yeah. yes precisely I, I, actually i'll say another thing actually two things my first is i also <laughs> wish we would have had more mank and uh sarah mankowitz i wish we had more of them yeah the two of them because it's like a great couple that you'd never really see and um I loved her too. Like she yeah. gave him plenty of shit. Um, she does get yeah. kind of relegated to like the supportive, like wife character. Back, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Yes,
2: that too. That yeah. I, I felt like this movie like deserved a little bit more than that, and she deserved more for it, and like and the actress who played her was deserved more. Um, yeah, like there were definitely efforts to give her a little bit more to do, but I think just by virtue of how little she was in the movie, you can really only do so much with that.
1: Yeah I mean you can tell that they clearly love each other but like just like they kind of keep raising the question she's you know they're like why do you put up with me (laughs) but so like you know we can see they love each other but we don't necessarily see like too much of like why she really loves them and it's the same with like Hearst and um, Mank as well like you said Pat like I mean you can kind of get why Hearst is entertained by Mank but you wonder maybe it's like hey but like what was like why was Mank drawn to it um Mm. I mean maybe it was just a little bit about just like even though he's you know cynical about all these wills of power he still loves being at the you know at the center of it which maybe was part of his internal dichotomy but i feel like you know like you said both of those character dynamics i didn't expound on
2: I, I i do want to get back to the second thing that that pat meant or brought up or wanted to bring up but <laughs> can you guys do you guys know what the actor's name is who played sarah Mankowitz?
3: no tuppence
2: something right tuppence <laughs> middleton <laughs> that's that's wow wow. she, she must be British playing American
1: better. in this movie right like yeah <laughs> it's it must a, be it's the most English name yeah. I've ever heard Tuppence yeah and
2: that's not that, that's not even a stage name that is not even a stage
0: name well I've if it's about. not it should like you should like the yeah. actors who change their names aren't they're like let's be I'm gonna be Chad Smith like fuck right. that. <laughs> fucking
2: yeah Wow, there are a lot of a lot of Brits playing Americans in this movie. Gary they're Oldman. They're stealing our acting jobs. Yeah, yeah they're exactly. They're stealing our acting jobs. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Better, it's, better it's training. Not, yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah, they they
0: read Shakespeare and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, what was the other thing you were going to bring up? That so, this movie, like, people are getting upset about this movie. Pro Wells people are getting upset about this movie, and they're like, mm-hmm. "This is unfair to Orson Welles." ba 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 bah. This week, people – the past couple weeks, people have been upset at The Crown because of its portrayal of right, Princess Diana. Right. And they have tried to petition Netflix to add a little thing at the beginning of the episode that says this is a work of fiction. <laughs> right, right. And I'm curious to hear <laughs> like what your guys' <laughs> thoughts are on like historical works, how they should be per- perceived – do we take, should we take these things as seriously as they are produced and marketed? Or, well, I'll just say my opinion is don't get mad at it because it's a work of fiction at the end of the day. Yeah. But, you know, because I think people also, because politics is culture now, it's like Princess Diana is not, didn't actually do that. Like this is, this is unbelievable. Like Right, you can right. say this for a, a ton of other films, um, but it's kind of funny how Mank just came out and that this thing with the Crown is coming out. So I just want to hear your right, and, it, and it's all it's all Netflix as well. Yes, yes, <sighs> yeah. I don't give a fuck because I'm not a fucking
2: okay. idiot, and I know that things are okay. fake <laughs> and that you should do your research. Like it's not that hard to like Google like what what did did Di- did Princess Diana do this or you know did Orson Welles actually not write uh, Susan Kane at all and did he take all the credit for what Mankiewicz did um so yeah I don't I don't particularly care especially because I know also that like this this entire um movie Jack Fincher wrote this based on like that New Yorker article that um by I can't remember her Paul name Pauline Kale, Paul and Paul and Kale. Kale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah which is why it back on yeah exactly. yeah yeah it's widely discredited and that whole like narrative is just like not It's not true, Um, but, like, Jack Fincher was working with this this particular piece of reporting, and it makes for, like, a good story, and there's some truth to some degree, like, Mankiewicz was, like, a victim in a lot of ways, like, of various aspects of the studio system, which Orson Welles, to some degree, is a symbol of, even though he was also a victim of the studio system or different aspects of the studio system, Mm. so it all serves to, like, reinforce this narrative and tell this story, even though it's not all like totally true to, you know, to what actually happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not particularly bothered by it. I, I but I understand why people are, especially if you are like an Orson Welles, like scholar <laughs> oh, yeah, or an Orson. Yeah, a Wells, a Wells head. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly bothered by it.
1: Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I would be bothered by any of the, you know, a movie, any work of art has got to say creative license, you know, if someone literally, you know, walks from A to B, but you're like, that's boring, we have to make another character up to make the story more expedient. I mean, I think, but I would push back at that concept in general. Um, I don't, you know, a work of fiction is a work of fiction, but I mean i feel like you know we're missing the lessons of this movie mank and of citizen kane um if we ignore the fact that it's a powerful medium and it does shape the way that people view reality so i mean i don't yeah. agree with that i think mank to- like or what i'll say is even though i mean i'm on the side of the artist to have like creative freedom to you know maybe get a deeper truth uh mank has it a- i don't remember the exact line but he directly tells irving at some point in this movie, like, you know, we you have responsibility, like, this space was mine. So, yeah, I'm going to push back on that. I mean, I think I think in tons of instances, I don't really know, I haven't been watching The Crowns, so I don't know what that whole one is, but I think in tons of instances of historical fiction, um, a lot of us, I mean, I know Johnny Sick like people look it up, but I think it's just frankly, like, not true. I think for a lot of the public, we just, you see a movie and you just kind of like, yeah, you may not think literally that's how it happened, but perception is reality. And I think... Um, Maybe not as much as they did, you know, at the, you know, in the forties or the fifties, because they're not necessarily, maybe not necessarily the most dominant medium of this time, but, um, yeah, I think art and media definitely shapes people's perceptions. I'm for sure that a lot of people who watch the crown, I'm sure who are younger people, you know, or who don't follow the rules probably think whatever's happening in that show is, you know, pretty much how it went down. And I think that's like it for a lot of things that are based on, um, not or you know based on non-fiction stuff that's been fictionalized um which you know i think it's okay to make a dramatic movie based on bad things but this you know the same time people's uh audiences like views of those events i think are definitely shaped by uh by the media basically well
2: i should say i was i'm saying all of this assuming that like i'm more thinking about like the assuming that the stakes aren't particularly high in the story and that being,
1: yes you know, as far as yeah. was it or yeah like, exactly like, like I, I, yeah stable, i'm, stable, I'm yeah, if the it's like a, a if it's movie, like a
2: historical yeah. if it's a historical event that like actually like uh, you know having a good understanding of this like will make it or break it like that yeah, that that is totally different for me yeah I mean, I think which in i in this
1: particular case exactly the thing is like there's other this is not the definitive this is one point of view on that and there's yeah. plenty of other um interpretations and point of views on the the wells you know yeah. bank um debate yeah. so yeah in this particular case i agree but um i do think and, i mean i and think same that's what thing... this movie gets at is that you know you have some responsibility as a writer as a director as an artist to you know i think it's not just recently that art is political like culture and Political stuff right. has always been kind of intertwined, so I think that exists. Yeah. But yeah, oh, for in this sure. case, like, and, like this you is... should
2: you should definitely like yeah, you should definitely like you're opening yourself up to that criticism. Like if you are telling a true story, and like I think David Fincher, if he or or Jack Fincher, like if there was pushback on that, like I think that they should like take that to heart and accept that that's kind of what they're signing up for in telling like a, a somewhat true story or something that's based on a true story. That there are going to be people who are going to be bothered the fact by the fact that they like that they weren't totally true to like every aspect of what happened. And yeah, I think that's like a part of the risk that you undertake um, by telling stories that are based in truth. Mm. And, (laughs) but I also think like for me, but I feel like most of these things don't, they don't, sometimes they do come up with like actual, like important historical figures, no offense, Mank, no offense, Orson, Um, but like important historical figures or important events. But more often than not, I feel like people just start like bitch about things that don't really matter at the end of the day. Like, I don't know, like I don't think it's super important that like the truth is told about like this the dynamic between Mank and Orson, like in a film. Or um same with like the crown. Like I don't really give a fuck about the royals because like the royals yeah. are also like <laughs> evil, right? Like that's bad. Yeah. Sorry. Don, sorry. Stop.
0: Okay. <laughs> sorry. You're <laughs> all right i I think this
1: movie is about mank so he's our protagonist i think in this case like i mean it's his podcast was
0: going so well (laughs) until john trashed
2: the royal family i know i yeah we we admitted that we don't give a shit about the crown and now i'm i'm dissing the royals but i'm not really (laughs) particularly like this story of like oh like the royals are having like their reputation tarnished by like a netflix series like i don't i think there's
0: plenty of other things that
1: (laughs) People yeah, are okay.
0: <laughs> people are so precious about that entire narrative that yes. that has more to do with ideology than like actual importance, right? You know, right? Yeah. Yes, but if there was like a story
2: that was like, if you're talking about like a major event, like you know something to do with like if if Lincoln like played super super hard and fast with like various facts that were super super important to like generating a a a good understanding of abraham lincoln's legacy or like slavery or the civil war like that yes like that's problematic right like gods and generals is a awful movie because it is like it's just, it's wrong. Like it's wrong yeah. and it's super pro-Confederate because it yeah. leaves out certain facts. Like, but yeah. that to me isn't like a squibble of like, or squabble of like,
0: now Be careful oh, what is- you say about American Sniper. You're treading on very
2: uh, <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to say <laughs> it. I was thinking it, but I wasn't going to say it. Um, but yeah, like that's a different thing to me than just like, is this based on, like, does it get everything totally right? So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say like, nothing matters. Like we have no responsibility to, you know, those of us who create things to like actually have it be grounded in something resembling reality or to like, yeah, communicate narratives that like should be communicated. So don't cancel me is what I'm trying to say.
0: (laughs) Well, guys, I think so, that's that's yeah. A good, a, good, go. a good place to end to is with me. All I'm thinking about as me. I mean, the
1: Orson um, Wells fan hive, and the Crown fan hive are going to cancel John on Twitter. But other than that, yeah, time, <laughs> yeah. Time, I had a good place, so we're happy. <laughs> yeah,
2: I had a good run, I suppose. Much like Citizen Kane, <laughs> I had a good run. <laughs> much like much like the Steelers in their perfect
1: season, I had a good run. <laughs>
0: there he Ooh, is sorry. ladies and gentlemen there
1: he is <laughs>
0: rishi where can playoffs. people find you
1: um find me on letterbox you know um rishi on letterbox Find me on instagram uh you know follow mahari media and drop them catch all. me on this podcast yeah. again
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: <laughs> um, the picture maybe completes his trilogy of like examining how like the mediums we create and consume shape our reality or bring me back sooner than that i don't know (laughs) i heard
0: he's gonna do a movie on podcasting is that true or did i just make that up (laughs) did i just make that up yeah on two you heard it on
1: a podcast it must be on two
2: best friends slash podcasters uh one loves fitness and one has uh, hasn't eaten a vegetable in the past uh 365 days
1: hold on let me just write this down
2: uh- <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. You, can, you can pitch that next time you hand a, a, a walkie-talkie to it yeah. uh, make sure it's, uh, it's director proof <laughs> yeah yeah um pat where what should people be looking for or or keeping an eye out for as it pertains to you apart from your thirst traps on instagram
0: Oh, I've been getting a lot of DMs <laughs> about that. Um, guys, please write a review for us for Christmas. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, 2020 uh, has been a bummer. Get out so. of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me at, at P-S-T-A-N-N underscore um, Carnegie Mellon Film Festival podcast. We'll have another uh, interview coming up. Um, oh, am I going to shoot myself in the foot? started editing a another project which you will all see in 2022 um (laughs) start the countdown
1: this is good give yourself goals like like orson and (laughs) Meg.
2: yeah yeah 90 days make it 60 days or in in this case it's 60 days make it 60 months yeah (laughs) um and you can find me uh at john lemay on instagram or at instagram uh you can find me on Twitter at Yawn Lemay Y A W N L E M A Y, and check out my old podcast, Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. Check out my poetry; just Google John Lemay poetry, you'll find something.
0: And that's all I got. This podcast sponsored by the Crown. What is what? Is, what are the the family called? The the house the royal of family. Windsor. What are they called? Yeah. Yeah, this podcast is sponsored by the uh, – I shouldn't even say that. I feel like the FBI already, like, <laughs> trained their weapons on me. Yeah. Right. Oh, I it. <laughs> oh, I
1: it. Hey, uh, right. Yeah, all uh, right. Bye,
0: everyone. Thanks, Thanks guys. For Thanks for having me,
1: guys.